Well, morning everybody. Week four, day 22. We are exactly halfway through our 40 days uh, journey, which means that Easter is just three weeks away. So next Sunday is a baptismal Sunday, uh, the Sunday after is Palm Sunday, and then it's Easter Day, another baptismal service. So if you haven't decided what type of chocolate egg you want, you haven't got long left. And uh, I can offer some suggestions if you're struggling with that. I want to honour mothers today. We'll come back to this a little later on when uh, the children are, are with us. Uh, rock on to you mothers Uh, God bless you. Uh, Being a mother is a totally impossible task. So God bless you for engaging with it so lovingly and so faithfully. The best Mother's Day uh, card that I've seen had on the front of the card, Mum, I will never forget that little prayer you prayed for me every day, dot, dot, dot. And then inside the card it read, God help you if you ever do that again. Thank you for those prayers. You never hear mum say, do you? Why don't you sit closer to the television? It must be hard to see that far back. And you never hear mum saying, my time for you to come home is just something for you to shoot at. Come home when you're ready. Or leave those vegetables. I don't like them either. (laughs) We think today about how we can help one another become all that God wants us to be. And God's plan for our lives is is not complicated, but it is profound. And God's plan for our lives is that we should become like His Son. It's that easy. It's that simple. In terms of understanding, it's not a complicated task we're being asked to perform. We understand it in all its simplicity, and yet it is deeply profound and totally life-changing. To become like Jesus to spiritually grow, to become more spiritually mature, is nothing short of becoming more like uh, Jesus. And we're going to spend after Easter a lot of time thinking about Jesus. That's where we're going next as a church. Uh, Pray for me as I'm uh, preparing that material, particularly spending uh, considerable time this next uh, fortnight uh, working on lots of that material that will take us through to the summer. As we think about Jesus, and there are lots of surprises when you come to think about Jesus. The kind of things that we naturally associate with him, often we discover when we get back to God's word, aren't actually that true. We have this picture of a kind of blue-eyed, gentle, uh, kind of almost whimsical type of man. And yet it's very hard to find that kind of picture of Jesus in the Gospels. And so we're going to look at who Jesus really is, up close and personal. uh, The the cold-blooded, the warm-blooded, the angry, the warm-hearted, the compassionate, the totally wild Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. And quite simply, we're to become like him. And that's the task. And what we're thinking about this morning is how we can help one another in that task. I need you to help me become more like Jesus. And you need me and you need each other to help you become more like Jesus. Without one another, we will stay just as we are. And so that reading that Anne-Marie read for us a few moments ago has within it a couple of times this refrain about encourage each other and build each other up to become all that God wants you to be. That's the essence, that's the, the heart. 
And Paul was writing to a people that were so aware that the days were evil. And that's why there was this emphasis on, on Jesus. Are you going to come again really soon? We hope and we pray because this world is going uh, down the tube. In that context, he says, build one another up that in the darkest days you might become the brightest lights by being conformed to Jesus Christ. And what we think about this morning, you can apply to a whole host of relationships. Think about it in terms of your small group. But think about it in terms of your marriage, if you're married, or your family, or your neighbours. Things that you and I can do to help each other become more the people that God wants us to be. Lots of the uh, leadership material that's being uh, written these days is uh, focusing around the word influence. Leadership is not about uh, taking on a role in a particular organization or having a particular hierarchical structure behind you. If you rely on those things for your leadership, then your leadership will be very small in its influence. And if we take influence to be at the heart of what it means to lead, then all of us have a responsibility to influence, to lead one another to become more like Jesus. Am I giving all I've got in my small group to help others become like Jesus? Am I giving all that I've got on this Sunday morning to help others become like Jesus? Am I giving what I can to my children, to my parents, to my family, to my spouse, that they might become more like Jesus? How can I be about positive influence. That's what we're about. That under Christ's direction, the whole body, the church, is fitted together and each part helps the other parts so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. How do we do this? Now, the tendency is always, I think, to think when we start talking about helping each other become like Jesus, is that the main thing we need to do is point out what's wrong with the other person and to point out areas of their lives where they're not like Jesus. Wrong. It is very demotivating, isn't it, for you to spend all week knowing what's wrong in your life and then to have someone else point it out for you. Most of the time, our problem is not what's wrong with somebody else. It's not what we need to hear. And there's that whole parable Jesus talks about, this massive great plank in your own eye while you're worried about someone else's speck. Now, helping each other become like Jesus maybe on occasions requires us to get alongside someone and say, have you looked at what's happening in your life in this way? But overwhelmingly, Most of what we can do to help people become like Jesus is about positive affirmation and prayer and encouragement and the things that I want to talk about mainly this morning. Firstly, how do we do it? We do it by affirming each other's worth. I need people to encourage me to become like Jesus rather than help me see those areas that are so painfully obvious to me where I am not already like him. We need affirmation. Everybody's looking for affirmation. That's why people go on the X Factor, all those ridiculous programs. Because they want people to recognize them and to affirm them and to love them because of what they have achieved. And we will go to great lengths to do that. But when we affirm people in their everyday, ordinary lives... We are saying something very powerful about the God of heaven who says before anything else, I love you, I affirm who you are. That's what God always says before he gives us a boot for the things that we've got wrong. 
He always says, I love you. That's, that's the first word, always, from heaven. I love you. And if you're ever not sure about it, if you ever think God is all into the commands and the rules, you know, like the Ten Commandments or the Ten Suggestions, as some people seem to approach them these days, uh, or, or perhaps the exam, hey, I'll attempt three. We must, must, must remember that God gave the people the ten rules for life only after he had expressed his ginormous love for them by rescuing them out of slavery. You see, we think that God shows up and God goes, here, here's how you should live. And it is a loving thing to do. God's rules are there for our blessing, not for our constraining. They're there that we might flourish, not that we might become trapped, although that's how we sometimes think of them in our naivety. But first and foremost, God comes to affirm us, to say as a human being, hey, I love you, you are valuable, you are worth something, and we do a huge service in God's name when we affirm people. And we do that in different ways. We affirm people with our acceptance of them. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. He did not wait for me to get it all sorted out before he accepted me. And he didn't do that for you either. And so we've got to be careful. We don't put stipulations on our relationships that God has never put on our relationship with him. It's so easy to put people down, but here we're talking about accepting, about lifting people up. And we live in a world where it's so easy for us to be making comparisons and to put someone down rather than lift them up. And you will know that there is a huge tendency for areas in our own personal lives where we think we are strong to put others down in that area. And so we take our strengths and we project them onto somebody else and we say because they are not strong in the way that we are strong, then we put them down rather than lift them up. So, for example, if you are always on time, you will find people who run late really. What kind of people are they? And if your house is absolutely perfect, good housekeeping, you go to someone else's house, and quite frankly, it's a tip, and they say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, our house is a mess. And you go, ooh, I hadn't noticed. You little liar. You little liar. It's the first thing you'd notice. And inside you're going, yes, yes, I win, I win, I win. You're so pleased with yourself that your house is like that and their house is like this. And it's just human nature. And we do it in all kinds of things and whatever. Find an example. And you'll find that naturally, I suspect, you will tend to do it. So pleased at where you're strong, you project that onto somebody else. But it's destructive. We make ourselves feel better by making other people feel less or by thinking less of them. What about a better way to live? What about helping us feel better, not by putting someone else down, but by raising someone else up? To help others feel better about themselves. And so we feel just thrilled to be part of that process. Why do you look down on another Christian, the Bible asks? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. They might have a messy house, but I expect where they're strong, you're probably weak. And they may be late, but perhaps they won five people to Christ in the five minutes that they were late. Whatever. We make judgments so easily, so, so quickly, because we can. And God says, well, I could have been really quick to judge you. 
but I chose to love you first, to accept you first, to welcome you first. Can you imagine how irritating people must have been for Jesus, given that everything was a strength for him? He must have gone insane sometimes inside with people's lack of faith, stupidity and total disobedience. And yet he let everybody gather around him. And they wanted to gather around him. Why? Because there was something of his acceptance that was so clearly on show. And so, who are the people around you that you find easy to push down and God says, hey, why not try lifting them up? Who are the people in the small group that you meet in that you find, and God says, lift them up? Who are the people that you would be quick to point out a weakness because of your strength? And God says, remember, love, accept. So acceptance. And God works through different people in different ways, as we know. And so let's celebrate each other's strengths and stand with each other in our weaknesses. Okay, so firstly, uh, with acceptance. Secondly, with attention. And we're thinking about uh, how we affirm each other's worth. We affirm each other's worth with the attention that we give to people. Give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Now, you'll notice that there was a verse last time about giving special attention to those outside. It's not either or, it's both. Give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. The reason in this context we're asked to give special attention to the family of believers is because what you give your attention to will grow. What you give your attention to will grow. If I pay attention to my garden, perhaps not me, somebody, it will grow in a right kind of way. If I pay attention to my kids, they spend a better chance of growing in the right kind of way than if I don't spend any, pay any attention. If I pay attention to my marriage, to my work, to whatever, if I pay attention to my hair, Whatever it is, what we give our attention to, it grows and develops. What we're working on becomes a sign of our worth or the worth that we attach to it. Well, a great gift then that you can give somebody else is your attention. Because in giving them your attention, you're saying, I value you, you are worth something. I I want to see you grow and develop. And I give you my attention because what we put our attention to will grow and will flourish. I value you. Uh, I'm working with you as a sign of your worth. And so on. So what are you placing your attention on? And God says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. And you say, well, so what? That's pointless. And in one way it is pointless. And some of you are helping him out uh, with the number of hairs. But it's a sign of how God looks at our lives. He goes, I'm giving you my attention so that no detail goes unnoticed. And my attention of you is a sign of, of, of your uh, innate worth. I'm affirming your value by the very fact I know the numbers of hairs on your head. 
Which is why and, 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 uh, uh, women operate in this zone more than men. It's why when men don't notice things about women, they feel we don't love them. Stupid, I know, but they do. So you, you need, we need to understand as blokes that if we don't notice something about our, our, our spouse, that says we don't value. We go, no, it doesn't. But that's what they hear because there is something about attention that places value. And so who are the people you're giving your attention to? I watched yesterday. Yesterday I was in the car waiting for Kerry. It gives me lots of time to think. And, uh, <laughs> and I watched, as I watched, and this car pulled up in front of me and this bloke gets out and he's kind of nervous, he's shifty. And as soon as he got out of the car, I knew what he was about to do, he didn't feel very comfortable about. And he went to the boot of his car, and what did he get out? He got out a big bouquet of flowers. I'm thinking, Mother's Day, here we go. And he's kind of really uncomfortable in his own skin about this whole thing. And he picks up this bunch of flowers, sort of kind of looking round, you know, is anyone going to see me carrying this? I wanted to beep, you know, hey, yeah, you know, I'm watching, hey, you know. And he's got these flowers in his hand, right, and he walks towards the door of this house. And hey, I've got no idea what his story, no idea what his story is. But I thought today, how many people are writing cards and getting flowers together and trying to express something that doesn't have much depth because throughout the last 12 months there's been a lack of attention. And we blokes are into this. We give gifts and we say, and we say sometimes, why doesn't my wife and my kids know that I love them? I do all this work for them. I provide this home and their schooling. I, I give them all this. And they say... We just want your attention. We just want your attention. So who do you tend to overlook? Who's often the people, it's often the people closest to us that we tend to overlook? Who do you overlook? Who do you need to walk out of church today thinking, I'm going to give that person much more of my attention because that's the very least that they uh, deserve. So attention, and then uh, affection. Affection, now we know that all babies need to be cuddled, they need to be held, they need to be touched, they need to be loved in a very physical uh, kind of way. And it's no different for adults either, is it? We find it hard, but we need the affection of other people. It's not part of our good English culture. We much prefer a very limp fish handshake to a big bear hug. But that diminishes us, I think, in our relationships. We need each other's warmth and affection. That's how God created us to be. What kind of family doesn't show any affection? If you go into somebody else's home and watch a family, you quickly observe whether there's affection or not, don't you? And you go, there's no affection here. You know, heaven forbid that people would come into the church family and say there's no affection here. There's no warmth, there's no uh, connection of people, of togetherness. If, if, if you stop kissing your wife, it's a sign of something, isn't it? If your wife stops kissing you, it's a sign of something. If you stop embracing your children, it's a sign of something. If you no longer wrestle on the floor with your boys, it's a sign of something. 
and the church family. If all we do is this kind of thing, it's a sign of something, isn't it? Now, if I said next week we're going to come to church and we're going to hug people around us, two things would happen. Some of you wouldn't come. And some of you would be much more careful where you sit. But in the same way we go, hey, that's a weird family. They don't touch each other. They don't hug each other. There's no warmth between them. May people not say about the church family, that's a weird group of people, that is. Nice to see you. What's the difference between a kiss and a holy kiss? About two minutes. (laughs) So all's done in good and order. But let's not lose the affection. And what about the whole appreciation of one another. Brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you and who lead you in the Lord and teach you. Every time you appreciate someone, you raise their value, don't you? And there are Sunday school teachers in our church that have worked year in, year out, week in, week out, not just on a Sunday. They're spending Saturday night sweating about the Sunday. And they need to know that we appreciate them. There are those that got up early this morning to make sure this building was ready. They need to know that we appreciate them. The musicians that were down here around nine to get ready, they need to know that we appreciate them. To those that will serve you coffee after the service, they need to know that we appreciate them. Your small group leader needs to know that you appreciate him or her. Who are the people that you need to remember to appreciate? Who was the person who years ago first told you about Jesus? When was the last time you said thank you to them? Appreciation. Cards make a huge difference, don't they? I've noticed even in these last few weeks when some of you small groups have been writing cards and sending them to people, the reason I know about that It's because it makes a difference to the person receiving them. They say, you never believe it, I got this lovely card. And people walk a little higher because someone took the opportunity just to say, I really appreciate what you did. I really value that. And there's loads of appreciation going on in our church. And we need to uh, not get weary of it. And we need to celebrate it because it raises our value week in, week out to appreciate one another. Okay, so first big heading, first of four big headings, perhaps maybe not. First big heading then, we affirm each other's worth by all of these things, by appreciating, by our attention, by our affection, and so on and so forth. How else can we help people grow, to help people lift their heads towards God and his kingdom? By praying for each other's growth. This guy is a hero, Epaphras. Epaphras always prays for you that you will grow to be spiritually mature. There is a lot of praying going on, But if your prayer life is anything like the temptation there is for me in my prayer life, I will spend most of my time asking God to help someone in a particular situation, to heal someone who's sick or whatever it might be, uh, to meet someone in their difficult situation. I don't spend 
as I've thought about it this week, anything like enough time praying for those God's given me or praying for us together in our church that we would grow spiritually mature. We pray that God would bless us and help us and be with us. And... But what about this one? Epaphras always prays for you that you will grow to be spiritually mature. And the Bible gives us loads of ammunition for this kind of praying. I pray that you'll be able to feel and understand how long, wide, deep and high Christ's love really is and to experience this love for yourselves. Let's pray for one another that we would really experience (coughs) and know the depths of Christ's love. Let's pray for one another that we will always be eager to do what's right. We're not always eager to do what's right. Oh, it's just me. Are we? Let's pray for one another in those difficult situations when it would be so much easier just to get our head down or to move away. And God says, will you do the right thing at work? Will you do the right thing in your family? Will you do the right thing in that situation? Let's pray we'll be eager to do what's right. Let's pray that God will give us hope and fill us with much joy and peace while we trust in him. Let's pray that God would help us in our personal lives and in our corporate lives to raise the level of trust that we talked about last week. That God would give us wisdom and revelation and understanding when we're not sure which way to go in life, when difficult situations and decisions face us. When we need patience, let's ask God that he would give one another patience to reach out for his direction and not our own. And pray that he might strengthen us with power when we're feeling weak. These are really great things to be praying for one another. And uh, I would encourage you to get those verses written down somewhere near your Bible or near your prayer journal or however you choose to do it. And when you, you think, well, this is the third day I'm asking God to bless Aunt Mary. Maybe you can look up some of those verses and get some ammunition for praying for Aunt Mary's spiritual growth. Why? that we may together develop maturity, that God might develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. I don't like this verse. I don't like it because I would like it to say, may God develop maturity in you so that you know lots of Bible stuff and that makes you mature. I'd like that. That's what I'd like. I'd like that to be heaven's mark of how mature you are as a Christian, how well you know the stuff. But it's not. The Bible gives this mark, which is far more challenging. Your maturity will be marked according to the quality of your relationships. And most of us probably go, ouch, that hurts. That hurts. That's below the belt, it's not fair. But if that's the real test of maturity, not our knowledge, but how we handle our relationships, we must remember that we can be bursting with the knowledge of God, but if it does not uh, uh, spill over into a transformed life, which is evident in the way we relate to one another, then we're not mature at all. And if you're struggling in your relationships, then your maturity doesn't look too great whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or just five minutes. And I wish it didn't say that. The 
quality of our relationships is massive on God's agenda. Massive on God's agenda. And thirdly, we uh, encourage one another by admitting our own mistakes. By being honest. Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. The truth. (laughs) Fancy telling each other the truth. Why? Why would you ever dare take the risk of telling the truth? Because there are at least four benefits of truth-telling. The first one is emotional healing. If you need God to forgive you of your sin, tell him and he'll forgive your sin. But many of us have told God about our sin and we still struggle with guilt and it still holds on to us. And there's this very powerful word in James. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sometimes people feed back to me what they think prayer ministry is like. And they feed back something that's kind of wool and fluffy and all very self-centered. I've never known prayer ministry ever to be like that. At the heart of prayer ministry is the living God challenging us about what's wrong in our lives. That is hard work and often very painful and involves a lot of confession, a lot of saying sorry. And sometimes people spend a long time just confessing what's wrong before healing comes. But if you're not honest, then we remain enslaved. Benefits of honesty is that we get a fresh start. Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Gives us power to change. Gives us power to change because for as long as you are kidding yourself about things that are true about you, there is never any room for God's power to change you. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence upon him, your, all that's not right within you, God will lift you up and give you honour. There's a pattern here. that sometimes we don't move forward in our Christian lives because there's areas of our life that we don't even be honest with ourselves about, let alone being honest with anybody else. And we keep it all locked away because we think being honest is really scary. But actually, honesty brings a tremendous freedom. And it moves us towards, lastly, deeper fellowship. If we live in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. But most of us have fallen for the myth, the lie, that if I'm honest with somebody else, they won't like me anymore. Who would you prefer to build a relationship with? Someone that you sense is being honest or someone whom you sense is being dishonest? I think so. I think so. And I think you would be amazed at the depth of relationship that a little bit of honesty will bring. Keep it all hide away because, hey, if they knew I was like that, they wouldn't love me anymore. Hey, they're probably like it too. A bit of honesty goes a long way. That guy is the real deal because he's being honest and open. She's being the real deal because she's being honest and open. I'd like to build with that person because they're honest and because they're open. What's more attractive, deceitfulness or honesty? It's time to say, hey, let's be honest. Let's be honest about the things that are wrong. 
because we've all got things that are wrong. And for as long as we sit on our high pedestal saying, I've got it all sorted and that's how I'm going to make sure I keep looking to the world, then you're of no use to anybody because you haven't got it all sorted. And it's only in our honesty, in our recognition of one another's faults and failings, that we can build deep fellowship that will hold us when the storms come, that will keep us secure in one another. And fourthly and finally, by encouraging each other's commitment. We can help one another grow by encouraging each other's commitment. And I just want to ask you, what do your conversations tend to centre around? Do they centre around helping people train for a godly life? It's much easier to train if someone else is running with you. It's much easier to get out there and do the exercise if someone else is doing it alongside you. And are we helping people to love Jesus Christ? Is our conversation about helping people to keep going in that journey or helping people to love other believers or to love God's word or to love serving in ministry or to love sharing the good news? Do we walk and run alongside one another, egging each other on, as the Bible says, to love and good works? Hey, I really need you to become what God wants me to be and you really need me We really need each other. Let's pray.